Pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you will open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Father, you are so good to us to give us your written word. Father, I pray that you will reveal more of yourself to us. We cannot see you on our own. We cannot behold your glory without your help. So, Father, come now and show us your glory. Father, I pray that you will help us to see who Jesus is in your word. Father, help us to see his surpassing worth compared to everything else. There is nothing like Jesus. Father, we need you. Show us. Father, we need Jesus as our example. The one who lived the life that we could no longer live. The one who redeems us. The one who sacrificed himself on our behalf. The one who does redeem us from the pit. Father, I pray that you will transform us into his image. Father, I pray that as we move forward with this church plant, Father, that we will not just look to the plans that we have. We will not do things in our wisdom, but Father, we'll turn to you and follow your will, your guidance. Father, you lead us. By your Holy Spirit, move in us and through us. Go before us, Father God. Prepare the way. Father, I pray that Redeemer Church will glorify you here in King George County. Father, I pray that the gospel will go forth from this church. Father, when we gather, you will be worshipped and adored. Father, when we're in our homes, the gospel will be evident in our marriages and in our families. Father, when we talk to our neighbors and to those around us, that the gospel will be the priority. It will be the most precious news that we could share. Father, may we not hold back from it. Regardless if we face opposition, regardless if suffering comes our way, may we see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may it move in us and through us. Father, there are many lost here in King George County. Father, there are over at least 16,000 who don't see the value of worshiping you. Father, whether they haven't heard the gospel or whether they just simply don't value Jesus, Lord, may we have a burden for them. Father, give us words when we need it. But above all, may the love of Jesus be evident in our lives, Lord, and in this church. Father, we do lift up the other churches in this county that the gospel will be preached from the pulpit. That the people will receive the word and will not only be hearers, but doers of it, Lord. Lord, you tell us that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, King George needs more churches to reach the lost. Father, make it so. Lord, we go around the world and there are billions upon billions of people who don't know you. 
Father, the Kapu people of India living in Andhra Pradesh, the southeastern region of India, the same place where our brother Vijay and his brother Satya and Nani and Karun are serving and ministering, Father. Fourteen and a half million people who are lost. Father, save them. Father, they believe once again in this false religion of Hinduism. Lord, break them of that. Break the chains that hold them. Lord, the Kapu people also live around Muslims, those who believe in this other false religion, Lord. Father, open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. For uh, Lord, for Vijay and his brothers, Lord, I pray that you will continue to use them for your glory, that they will raise up more pastors, that they'll train more men in the gospel ministry, that more churches will be planted among the Kapu people, that they will hear the word preached in their own language, Father God. Lord, I pray now as we turn to your word, make us attentive, make us responsive, and make us more like you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter this evening. And I'm going to be beginning in in verse 1. Tonight, our goal is to see the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. To really know and understand what makes Jesus so incredibly valuable to Paul where Jesus is the height of Paul's aspiration and is the depth of his existence. To know why Paul says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. I'll begin in verse 1. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straightening forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in um, imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. For from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body into be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Amen. God says in Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. May we receive tonight's passage as treasure. May God help us to hear His truth and incline our hearts to Him, to increase our love for Him. May we seek and find the treasure of fearing the Lord and knowing God truly and personally. Paul says in verse 8 of our passage that he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He talks about gaining Christ. He counts everything as rubbish or trash in order to gain Christ. Jesus is not a travel guide for Paul. Jesus is not pointing the way to heaven. Jesus is not blazing a trail telling us to take this way to heaven. He's not like a toll booth where we come up to Jesus and we say we believe and then Jesus, standing on the side, says that we can pass on through. When Jesus describes himself in John's Gospel as the way or as the gate or as Paul says, to be in Christ, it means that Jesus is the only possibility to know God. To behold God's glory, to be filled and purified with joy in God. And he does this because he is God. To know Jesus is to know God. To seek Jesus is to seek God. To enjoy Jesus is to enjoy God. To love Jesus is to love God. God. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's not saying that he's the first step to get to heaven. That we have to make the stop at Jesus first so that we can go on to the Father. No, he says, the Father and I are one. There's no stairs we climb, no stages we go through to reach the throne of God. We don't believe in Jesus 
and then we do good works, and then we become holy, and then are guided into the throne room of God. Jesus is it. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus is the treasure that the Bible talks about. It says that this treasure is found when we search for it. Jesus is that treasure. Paul describes his life as for Jesus. In Philippians 1 verse 10, Paul wants the Philippians to know that they're being made pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness, he says, that comes through Christ. Through Christ for the day of Christ. Paul says in chapter 1 verse 20, he wants his life to count for Jesus. He wants his body to honor Jesus by life or by death. In verse 21, he says to live is Christ. Paul said his desire was to be with Christ, for that is far better to Paul. Jesus is not on the side. He's not a bridge to God. He is the promised land in the Old Testament. He's the sanctuary in which God dwells with us. He brings us into God's sanctuary through His sacrifice on the cross. He's the lamb that was sacrificed on the altar, and He's the meal from the sacrifice that satisfies us. That's Jesus. He's the Yahweh of Scripture. Paul said that our lives, our ministry, our suffering, the opposition we face is all for the sake of Christ. Christ is everything to Paul. Not simply because of what Christ did, but everything about us is for Christ. Paul mentioned again in chapter 2, verse 16, that those of us who hold fast to the word of life are counted as children of God in the day of Christ. Eternity is described, in other words, as the day of Christ. He commended Timothy in chapter 2, verse 21, that Timothy was genuinely concerned for others. And he described this as having the same interest as Christ. Jesus is more to Paul than the means to an end. Jesus is the means and he is the end to Paul. Nothing compares to Jesus. Even good things in life don't compare to Jesus. That's why here at Redeemer we say Jesus is the focus and the admiration and the joy of life. He's more valuable than financial wealth. He's more restful than any vacation. He's more enjoyable than any entertainment. He's more comforting than any relationship. He's more satisfying than any other pleasure imaginable. He is life. He is treasure. And as Paul puts it, Jesus is gain. Now, this is hard to get across in today's world. It's hard to get people to accept that there's something better out there than what they can see in the world. But for Paul, there's two categories in life. There's loss and there's gain. Everything in life is in the loss category. 
And Jesus alone stands in the gain. Paul says, knowing Christ as my Lord is surpassing worth. Nothing that every, not the, um, everything in life is not bad. There are good things in life. It's not that Jesus is good and these are bad. It's that even in good things in life, Jesus is, for eternity, better. These things in life are just temporary. The good things in, in life, they won't last. And apart from Christ, it all falls away. Knowing Christ intimately and fully is worth more than anything else imaginable. Jesus fills us completely, and that satisfaction goes on forever. That's what Paul is saying. The biblical perspective is this, and it's found in Psalm 27, beginning in verse 4. It says, One thing have I asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Jesus is beautiful to Paul. Or in Psalm 73, 25, 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We were made to know God, to love God, to enjoy God. And that's where Paul is. He sees Jesus. He knows Jesus. And he loves Jesus. He wants Jesus and he desires to be with Jesus more than anything else. In our passage, Paul describes what the surpassing worth of Jesus is. He gives 12 reasons why Jesus has surpassing value. Why Jesus is worth more than anything else in the world. In verse 9, the first one is to be found in Him. And then again, having righteousness from God. In verse 10, to know Him. Knowing the power of His resurrection. Sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in death. In verse 11, attaining resurrection from the dead. In verse 12, Christ has made me His own. Verse 14, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 20, having citizenship in heaven, having Jesus as our Savior. And then in verse 21, He transforms our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Let's take each one of these in order. The first one in verse 9, to be found in Him. To be found in Jesus is much like the classic hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. To not be found is to be lost in darkness, out of the graces of God, facing the judgment of God. To be found in Jesus is to be saved from the penalty of our sin. Matthew Henry refers to the... um, 35th chapter of the book of Numbers where the murderer is found in the city of refuge and he's safe from the avenger of blood. 
If the murderer is found anywhere out of that city of refuge, the avenger of blood has every right to kill him for his sin. You and I are that manslayer. And Jesus is our city of refuge. When we're found in Jesus, we're safe. To be found in Him. You and I are the manslayer. Jesus is our city of refuge. The penalty for sin is death. And Jesus rescues us from that penalty of sin. He's our refuge from the penalty. Now this would be enough to set Jesus above all things. This alone shows the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. But Paul says that not only are we safe in Jesus, that we're given righteousness from God through Jesus. This is amazing. That's why the hymn is Amazing Grace. We're not just saved from sin. We now have righteousness from God. This is a righteousness that is received, not earned. Paul says, having this righteousness from God. It's a gift from God. Jesus not only saves us from sin, He gives us unearned merit from God. This righteousness came from Christ's faithful obedience to the Father, living the holy, sinless life that you and I never could, and then being the sinless sacrifice for sin on our behalf, Drinking the cup of death for our sins. Paul tells us in Titus 3.5, God saves us not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. This righteousness from God abandons all credit that we could try to achieve to gain favor with God. And it relies fully on the faithful work of Christ, who is our prophet, our priest, in our king. As prophet, Jesus spoke from God because he is God to God's people. He's God's word in the flesh. As our great high priest, Jesus alone atones and prays for God's people. He intercedes with the Father on behalf of God's people. As our king, the king of kings, Jesus righteously rules his creation and he judges justly. He is Lord with an everlasting dominion that will endure forever. This righteousness that He rules, that is completely blameless and only resides in God, this righteousness is given to us in faith. That is why we stress not just who Jesus is for us, but we stress faith in Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. And that righteousness of God is ours. The third reason for the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, to know Him in verse 10. Paul speaks about knowing Jesus. This knowing surpasses every other goal in his life. Knowing Jesus is Paul's aim in life. That's what he's striving for, to know Jesus more. This knowing is an intimate and personal knowing. It's a personal relationship with God. When you see God for who He is, who wouldn't want to be with God? The only all-perfect, all-wise, all-loving, all-good, all-gracious, holy, kind, powerful being. Being with you and being for you. 
this God protecting you, saving you, feeding you, satisfying you. That's why when we open the Scriptures, we look for God in them. The Old Testament points forward to Christ. The New Testament proclaims Christ. To know God is to know me and my need for Christ and His fully satisfying grace. This knowing Jesus is further explained in two ways in our passage. Knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection and sharing or participating in His sufferings. Paul wanted to know Christ so much that his life was identified with Christ, with his resurrection and his suffering. So the fourth one, knowing the power of Christ's resurrection. Look with me at verse 10, please. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. This resurrection power is God's power. The psalmist says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. There is nothing too hard for God, Jeremiah says. He raises dead men to life. He raised Himself from the dead back to life. God is called the Almighty for a reason. Nothing is impossible with God. Knowing this power surpasses everything. The fifth reason, sharing in His sufferings. It's impossible to know the power of His resurrection without sharing in Christ's sufferings. Now this is a hard one to to wrap our, our minds around. No one wants to suffer. No one wants to go through what what Christ went through. No one wants to be in anguish. We all try to avoid pain. But participating in Christ's suffering is fellowship with Christ. Every church wants to have good fellowship. I don't know of a single church that says we want to have bad fellowship. I don't know of a single church that promotes itself by saying that they have good suffering either. Suffering is essential to knowing Christ. In Acts 14.22, Paul tells the churches in Asia Minor that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This is the same thing Paul told the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29, if you remember. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. By sharing in Christ's suffering, there's a profound union with Christ. This moves us beyond being just a a recipient of God's grace. We are participating, we're a conduit for His grace to others when we suffer for the sake of Christ. The sixth reason in verse 10, becoming like Him in His death. Paul also saw the surpassing worth of Jesus by becoming like Him in His death. This is an easy one to to describe and share. To be like Jesus in His breathtaking beauty, to be freed from sin, to understand that the purest love is given away. But this takes time to know. 
It takes devotion. It takes a, a willingness to become like Him in His death. If we don't focus on this now, we won't be like Him when we're faced with the suffering. We won't die for Christ if we don't prepare now. The seventh reason, attaining resurrection from the dead. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 5, if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. There's a consummation that's coming for those who know Christ. One day Christ will return in all His glory and those found in Christ are promised a future of being with Him for all eternity. Death will have no hold on us. 1 Corinthians will ring true. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those in Christ will rise up from the grave into eternal life in the presence of Christ in full love, in full peace, in full joy forever. The eighth reason, knowing Jesus, surpassing everything else, Christ has made me His own. In verse 12, some translations say, I have been taken hold of by Christ. They mean the same thing. Christ has grabbed hold of Paul with an unbreakable grip. For Christ to make Paul his own means that Christ has taken hold of him and he's not going to let him go. Paul has been captured by Christ. There's an assurance here that's being given to Paul. Christ has Paul and nothing will remove Paul from Christ's presence. Paul is running hard. He's pressing on to receive Christ because Christ has already received him. It began with God's grace. And grace is our goal. And it's found in Christ. It's both. It began with grace. It began with Christ. And it ends in grace. It ends in Christ. Nothing is better than being in Christ, enjoying God's grace. The ninth reason of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 14, Paul describes Jesus as his prize. This is not just an, an award at the end of the race. When Paul has run his race, he fully expects to receive Jesus, his prize. But this is the prize of the upward call. God's call initiates the race. God begins the relationship by calling sinners to himself. Being with Christ is the fulfillment of God's call. This is a promise to receive the prize. God is faithful to his promises. Whatever God promises, he fulfills. There's nothing that will get in the way of God's call. This is not an offer for us that God dangles in front of us. And then if we make it to the end, we receive the prize. No, this is a sure thing. This is a promise to receive. This is invaluable and it surpasses any offer that could be given to you. 
It's a promise. This world offers enjoyment. Sin offers pleasure. It offers fulfillment. But it's all fleeting. None of it lasts. But God's call is sure. God's call draws us into relationship with Christ and then unites us with Christ and keeps us in Christ. This call is something we enjoy now and it's a prize we will fully enjoy in Christ's presence. The tenth reason of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ is found in verse 20. Having citizenship in heaven. Knowing Jesus gives us rights to be in God's kingdom. Being in Christ, knowing Jesus, says we belong in heaven. We're not there as visitors. It's not just a visitation for us on a temporary basis. It's not conditional. Knowing Christ ensures our citizenship in heaven forever. This world is no longer our home. This world is going away, Scripture says. And we have a permanent home forever. We have a far better country that we're going to. Heaven is the full reality of the dwelling of God. Heaven is the full reality of the dwelling of God. The Bible describes God in some places as the God of heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul quotes Isaiah and says, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. We can't even imagine what being citizens in heaven is like. We can't imagine something so awesome. Number 11, having Jesus as our Savior. The surpassing worth of Jesus is seeing Him as our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior restores peace with God. He provides order from chaos. He rescues us and sustains life. Trusting Jesus as Savior is a sure hope. Earlier in Philippians 2, Paul wrote, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is the ultimate confession of who Jesus is. And Paul was able to say, we, us, church, we await Him. We await our Savior. The twelfth reason of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. He transforms our lowly body to be like His glorious body. The twelfth reason in our passage for the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ is that He transforms our lowly bodies to be like His. He does it with the same power that He used to raise Himself from the dead. When Jesus appeared to the disciples... When he had conquered death and he rose from the grave, he was undefiled, he was incorruptible, he was pure, he was holy. And you and I will undergo that same radical transformation like Jesus when he returns. And not just our physical bodies, mind you, but our whole person will be transformed into the image of the Son. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we will bear the image of the man of heaven. Now these 12 reasons provided Paul with ample motive to see Christ as gain. That everything else is loss. That the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord far outweighs everything else. Nothing compares to Jesus. Any one of these 12 would have been enough. But all 12 together, there's like a nuclear energy that raises Paul's desire to be with Christ. Back in verses 3 through 6, Paul gave us reasons why he could choose things in his own life that were valuable. Reasons why he could put confidence in his flesh. Paul portrayed himself as someone before Christ, someone who had zeal for moral living. Paul would put anyone today to shame in how he pursued a moral life. We may even be impressed at Paul's devotion. Paul said if anyone could put confidence in the flesh, it would be him. Paul, before conversion, reflected human pride. He reflected the essence of what it means to have pride. And Paul says it falls short. Whatever gain he had on his own, it's now a loss for the sake of Christ. What ultimately matters is Christ. There's nothing we could ever do, nothing we could ever achieve to gain Christ. We just simply have Christ and who He is. Note that Paul warns us what happens when Jesus is not our surpassing treasure. Look with me at verses 17 through 19. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. We have two choices in life. We can live the Christ-centered life, or we can live the self-centered life. One leads to Christ Himself, where no earthly treasure compares to Jesus. And we will gain that. The other, Paul says, leads to destruction and shame. Do you know Christ the way that Paul describes Him? Do you yearn to be with Christ like Paul yearned to be with Christ? Would you choose Christ over anything else offered to you? It doesn't matter how much unity we have in the church. It doesn't matter how much we enjoy one another. It doesn't matter how much we do in the church. If we don't have Christ as our goal, it's for nothing. In fact, the unity, the joy, the humility, the growing in Christian maturity that we've spoken of in Philippians, it can't even occur without Christ being our goal. It can't happen if Christ is not our focus, our admiration, and our joy of life. For those of us who know Christ, that means any time we're given a choice to choose anything in this world and choosing Christ, we choose Christ. It means that our treasuring of Christ is to be shown as more valuable to us than anything else in the world. 
Part of being worthy of the gospel is displaying the worth of the gospel. This only happens from a heart that yearns for Christ. To be with Christ. It's a heart that focuses and desires Christ. It's an affection and a love for Him that surpasses everything else. Paul tells us in verse 15, Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. May it be so for us at Redeemer Church. Let's pray.